0: It's almost time, it's time to start celebrating. Stay away from the pumpkin spice, I'm just saying. (laughs) But have a great Halloween. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that was all started by a mouse.
1: Hello, everyone out there in podcast land, this is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney, for NPR, Illinois Community Voices, and for the Own Network. I'm your host today, Craig, joined by my co-host, Miss Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. And Mr. Brett Rutherford. Hello there. It is so nice to speak to the two of you. It is also very nice to get to talk to Mr. Ken Page. I'm, I'm really excited for you to hear this interview. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Ken is someone that is local truly to the Midwest. He's from St. Louis and then made his career on Broadway. And then, of course, he is. Mr. Oogie Boogie from The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is something that we're definitely going to talk about in the interview and just excited uh, about this opportunity today. So Vanessa, you've you met Ken Page. Can yes. you talk about that?
2: Yeah. So um, he played and performed at the Hoagland Center for the Arts for one of the galas. And when I met him, I walked up to him with my Oogie Boogie doll and said something uh, like, Hello, Mr. Ken Page. I'm such a big fan at uh, Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party. You start off Hallowishes by saying, "Whoa, well, 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 What have we here? A trick or treater, huh? Ooh, I'm really scared, and he, I think he got a kick of me, kick out of me." doing my impersonation of him to him. And he was so delightful. He was so sweet. We got pictures together. I think he gave me a little kiss on the cheek. He's just so, so, so nice. And I'm really excited that everyone else gets to see how wonderful he is today.
1: I really appreciate that you called him Mr. Ken Page. So Mr. Brett Rutherford, tell me, are you excited?
3: Oh, I I am very excited because not only the disney connection but the theater connection and he has a resume that is just amazing i mean amazing you and love ain't yeah.
1: Misbehaven, right
3: i love ain't misbehaving i remember mm-hmm. watching it as a mere child <laughs> well sort of and he is old deuteronomy which is so i mean cats just became such an Uh, well an iconic show of the 80s but you know now i think we don't we we kind of take it for granted but believe me it's the deal it was the deal and he talks about being cast in that and in the new york cast and uh, amazing so i just can't wait for you all to
1: hear about all of his career
3: because we talked about
1: it all And this interview provided us with like the best screenshot of somebody talking to us we've ever had. So um, certainly it's like the best because Ken Page is, he has this energy about him uh, and it was just such a fun conversation that we were able to have and excited to be able to share that with you. Of course, we know that there are a lot of Nightmare Before Christmas fans out there, which is also why this is almost kind of an introduction to our next week's episode where we will be talking Nightmare Before Christmas with the ladies of, I think you're going to like this podcast. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for you to hear this interview. Let's get to it with Ken Page. We are... So, uh, so thrilled to welcome to the show, Ken Page, and uh, we actually have so many great questions here that we want to get you through, and I know Vanessa's going to start us off. I will say, we want to talk about the breadth of your career, but of course, your legendary role at this point is Oogie Boogie, uh, since we are a Disney podcast, but Vanessa, you have our first question.
2: Yes, well, like Craig said, you are the voice of Oogie Boogie, so can you tell us about when you first got that call to be the voice, and and just what that was experienced like recording?
0: Well, first of all, the the call, oddly, and I would say more than um, to do the voice, the call was to come in and meet with them. And it's funny, because Danny Elfman and I uh, share a lawyer, so that's kind of how we got connected, and they had called him and said that they were looking for somebody who was Cab Calloway-esque, Fats Waller-esque, you know, and he said, have I got the person for you? (laughs) You So... um, And as I remember now, I went up to San Francisco to Skellington Studios. And I, to be honest with you, and Chris Sarandon and I laugh about this, I said, you know, I don't remember auditioning. I just remember going up and doing it. I said, now maybe I, you know, tricked my brain at this point and don't remember. But at any rate, I remember being there and them asking me, um, what's your take on what you think the character would be? They showed me the storyboard and so on and so forth. I said, well, I think it's somewhere between the voice of the demon and the exorcist, which they went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. Oh, Orleans. that's perfect. And they said, okay. I said, and with a little New Orleans thrown on top of it. They went. That sounds right. They were just as weird as I was. You know what I mean. So um, that's. I said if I go too far in any direction, just tell me. You know, and I'll move it this way, move it that way. So I kind of took that take on it. And um, of course, you know, when you record, you do. We did it alone. Each person. I think Chris and uh, Catherine got to do a day together or something like that. But I didn't. No one was there but me. Which, footnote, it's a miracle how they put these things together, so that it sounds like you're actually talking to people. I mean, I don't know how they did it, but at any rate. And, of course, you do several takes of any line, and they give you, uh, you know, different uh, variations to take and so forth. And you do it all, you put it down, and you leave. And the next thing you do is you go see the movie and there you are with a performance that you you don't know how it really happened. It's all you and it's everything you put into it. But they actually, when they say directing, that's why we give Henry Selick so much credit, to make the choices of what is the best interpretation of the line or the scene per line per scene is really, I think, a lot of hard work. And I think for it to come off like it did, he had to do a lot of really fine-tuning listening. Because I remember sometimes doing 12 takes of a line, just all different kinds of ways and everything. And you don't know what's going to end up in the film. You just know it'll be you, whatever it is. Right? <laughs> you know? But it was great fun
1: recording it. That's so fantastic. And of course, we've all lived through the cultural phenomenon that is Nightmare Before Christmas. It has such a huge, almost like cult-like following at this point. But you- Yeah. I was just
0: going to say, I I would say, and and in the best sense of cult, it is. I mean, I wasn't aware, you know, the movie came out, it did well enough, but it wasn't a huge hit, you know. And um, I do remember the excitement of it opening. I was in New York and they opened it at, Uh, Lincoln Center and the whole it was just beautiful and gorgeous and everything but you go to the opening, the movie comes out people go see it, you sort of forget about it and I was doing a play a show, a 3 penny opera in LA and there was this young uh, young man who was on the crew of the show sort of goth, you know and he said to me, he says, can I ask you a question? (laughs) I said, I think so he said, is it true that you're the voice of Oogie Boogie Man? I said, yes, I am. Oh, it eh, blows my mind. And he went through this whole thing. And he told me about how at this club that he went to, this goth club, every Saturday night, at the end of the night, they knew the night was ending because they would hear, bum bum, oh, And everybody oh. would sing along. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and he says, oh, man, you don't know that nightmare before Christmas is like this big thing. I had no idea of the underground swell that had happened with the cult, if you will. And that's when I sort of got cued into it. I thought, well, what's happening? (laughs) You know, and then I started asking questions and found out that there was this big following that at that time, which was some years ago, was sort of just really beginning to happen and so on and so forth. And not too long after that, I got an invitation to go to Japan and do a personal appearance. And I went to a store there, a jewelry store, Every piece of jewelry in this store we 're talking silver and i 'm talking plastic was oh, was a wow. uh, nightmare before Christmas and wow. things and I thought, what the hell 's happening? I mean it was really amazing, of course, this since that time is like almost twenty some years later, and it 's unbelievable to me. I call it the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> because it just keeps going I mean right now in l a um, they're, the park, Disney Park, is reopened, and they're rerunning. Two seasons ago, I did the voicing for the whole, you probably know that, the Oogie Boogie Bash and all this other stuff, and they're redoing it this year, so the commercials are running, and it just keeps going, and it just keeps happening, and it just gets bigger because by generation now, we're almost three generations in, right? And um, people, when I do signings, People come and they're adult people with their 10 year olds. Some of them are adult people with their 10 year olds and their seven year olds with babies. And it just keeps going and keeps uh-huh. going. Uh, it's amazing. It's really a phenomenon. I would say more than a cult, it's a phenomenon.
1: Sure. Yes yeah. and uh Absolutely. to that to that point I have huh? a 5 year old and yes. you know, one of his favorites is Nightmare Before Christmas and he I told him that I'd be uh speaking with you today and you would I mean I was excited for this interview he was on cloud 9 about it so Oh my uh, goodness so thank you for that and it's just so cool to see that generation keep going It um, is And speaking of fans, uh, we did have, we let our listeners know that we'd be speaking to you. And so some of them came up with some questions that they'd like to ask. And we thought we'd throw them in here randomly. But uh, one of them, I believe it was John, asked uh, just who your favorite Disney villain is.
0: Boogie Boogie, don't be ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be ridiculous. Well, let's say previous to Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, my favorite Disney villain, I think was Maleficent. Because I think as a kid, that scared me more than any of the others, you know, that I remember encountering. Maleficent was really evil. (laughs) I mean, there was no redeeming qualities. She wasn't funny. She wasn't trying to be funny. She was evil, you know. And I remembered something about her always kind of made me go, ha-ha, uh uh-oh. You know, (laughs) here she is, right? And uh, I would say that was probably, I can't think of anybody else that comes to mind that was very frightening
1: to me from Disney. Are, you know, villains. Absolutely, Brett. I believe you have our next question.
3: Well, if we're moving from Disney for. Just a moment, because yes, we are beyond the mouse, but uh, but we are also big, big theater fans. I mean, hmm. we're theater geeks, seriously. So it is Good. An honor Yeah, it's such an honor to speak with you. I'm a big fan. But Thank so you. at age 21, you made your Broadway debut in The Wiz as the Lion.
0: Actually, you know, it's so strange how that has happened. Through I don't know why and how, but somewhere in all the IMDb's and different things, they have me making my Broadway debut in The Wiz, which I did not. My Broadway okay. debut was in Guys and Dolls the all-black really? all production yes all-black yes. production oh, it, which is sure. 1976 the Wiz opened on broadway in 1975 and i went into the show i think late 1976
3: okay well thank you but for i setting that yeah, yeah and i keep
0: trying to fix it and it just keeps coming back up so i said they just want that to be my <laughs> to be my broadway debut but it wasn't you know so I, I constantly
3: was, oh no, well, no. well that was i mean even that was a, such a splash well what was your opening night on Broadway Like. And what was it like going from well from St. Louis? I mean, we're talking to a Midwesterner. We're very we're thrilled. We're honored. You know, it's so cool to Well, I'm just
0: across the, the river from you. You know, I'm in I St. Know. Louis. It's
3: like just down the street. So. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I mean, there's a long story, of course, by coming from St. Louis and all that. But opening night of Guys and Dolls, you know, it's hard to remember it all because it's like you feel like you're Cinderella at the ball or Cinderella. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Send a bill the because you get there and it's happening and you're present and you do the performance you go to the opening night party which I say in my show page by page plug plug uh, that it was held at Gallagher Steakhouse, which is right across from, uh, 52nd, I think, street from the Broadway Theater. And, uh, there were big pieces of meat hanging in the windows. Of course, it's Gallagher Steakhouse. And I thought maybe that has something to do with Broadway. You know, steaks and meat and everything. I had no idea it was just the place. But, um, I can tell you, uh, particularly your first Broadway show, there is nothing to compare. And it's any opening but certainly your first one, there's nothing to compare with the thrill and the excitement of a Broadway opening night audience. Now you have your own experience on the cast side, you know, you're running around and notes and flowers and gifts and the excitement of knowing this is it and you're going to be reviewed now and all those things. But the excitement that comes to you from the audience is amazing especially with you know with guys and dolls it was you know certainly a show that everybody knew and blah 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 but um for me i was 21 as you said years old and it was my first broadway show and it was a show that i knew very well so it didn't have that feeling of is the show gonna make it i mean is the show gonna run might have been a question but the show was already certainly in the annals of musical theater history ready. And I just remember feeling like everything I had imagined up to that point had actually come true. Because I was a theater, if you say geek kid, you know, I listened to Broadway cast albums and all the things you hear everybody say about all that. But um, So to actually be on Broadway and not thinking of Broadway or dreaming of Broadway or imagining Broadway, to actually be on Broadway at the Broadway Theater, which was couldn't have been any more right yeah. <laughs> um it was pretty pretty amazing pretty amazing um and unforgettable
3: Ah oh, that is so good dude that's good to know you know it's all of our dreams and, yeah uh, so what we well, was do it mine seriously through you. So, no. what
0: well, was my dream like i said you know you you really imagine i you know watching the tony awards year after year and thinking wow what could it be like to be part of it you know and by the time of course i got there i graduated from high school i was in college i was studying theater i had done two seasons at the muni and the ensemble the Louis Municipal Opera, we called it back then. But the Muni, so I was indoctrinated into what the professional theater would be by sure. that time. Oh, sure. And they had brought in, I want to say, at least three shows that season from Broadway. And people always think, no, nobody does that. I said, no, they did. Because right. the Muni seats 11,000 people, as you know. You're in Illinois. You know about the Muni. Yes. 11,000 yeah. people. So when they brought people in, from brought shows in from New York, they could do seven shows there six whatever and make three times four times five times the money they'd make in a month sure. of running on broadway so they actually brought shows in from broadway and also at the time there was a thing that they don't do anymore certain times of the summer shows would go off for a week or two because there was a lull in the audiences so they would just go down for a week or two and everybody mm-hmm. would take a break at a vacation and they'd come back in the fall or the end of the summer. So that was part of how they filled that break. They would come to, and Applause came that year. Seesaw, shows that were on their way to New York. Anyway, Seesaw was the show that made me want to go to New York. Mm. More than I already did, you know. Mm Because it was all about New York, and it was very hip, and very all these different things. And I just remember thinking, that summer, that's it. I can't stand it anymore. (laughs) I got to go. And I went, and the rest, as they say, is his story yes
2: right well ken i'm so glad you shared with us how you what was kind of going through your mind is that you got to be on broadway for the first time now i have to ask you yes when when you got the call that where they said okay ken we want you to dress up like a giant cat we're gonna have all these other actors that are cats are gonna be pawing at you what was going through your head then
0: well, you know, that's an interesting story because it was nothing nearly that simple. I mean, Cats, as you know, was a big hit in London before it came to New York. So the excitement for the Broadway production was tremendous. I mean, it, they did six months of auditions. And I don't mean theoretically. I mean, literally, six months of auditions. Everybody went into for it that could, that could crawl um, I remember there was releases that is going to play Grizabella. Then it was Cher's going to play Grizabella. Of course, this was all PR, but it kept everybody on the edge of their seats about the show. And as we know, the logo with the two eyes and nothing else, there was no pictures, no anything. It was in absolutely intriguing for everybody, including the people auditioning. Now, I was one of those people, as I said, six months auditions. I didn't go in until the last week people had been being seen and coming back for over that period of time. I went in the last week on a Monday. I came back for a call back on a Friday and they called me on Monday morning to say, would you play old Deuteronomy and cats? So when I tell people when we got, we the cast was together and I told them that they were like, I won't say yeah. what they said. <laughs> I went the first time six months ago and they tell you in a week and you knew about it. I said, that's just the way it worked for me. That's you know,
3: show that's showbiz yeah, baby. That's show you know, biz. Maybe, but
0: um, so <laughs> to get the call, of course. By the time I went in for it and got in the mix of it all, and it also dawned on me because I hadn't really focused on it much before then. I thought, well, cats, you know, it's all about dances and dancing, and so, so I just didn't really think there was a role in it for me. And the late Bernard Jacobs, who was one of the heads of the Shubert organization, uh, I was at the closing performance of *Ain't Misbehavin'* over there. I wasn't in it anymore, but I was there for the closing. And he asked me, he says, Had you, Kenny, have you been seen for Cats? I said, no. He says, he, he was kind of a little pissed because I think he felt like I should have been and I hadn't been. He said, all right, look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to call a Benny Litt the casting office and I'm going to have them bring you in. And I said, well, okay. I mean, they didn't, he says, no, no. I'm going to call Benny Litt's office and have them bring you in. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. So... Um, I went off actually to L.A. to do the TV version of Anchors of at NBC, and while I was there doing that, I was learning the song and rehearsing, and I always love to tell it, because it's so funny, my dear late friend, Amelia McQueen, we had a, our back-to-back rooms at the hotel, and I was in the shower singing, you've heard of several, and we'd go to the studio, and she goes, yeah, I heard you rehearsing this morning, Page." I said, oh, yeah, she goes, yeah, it's pretty good, you need a little more work to do. I'm like, who who asked you, you know, but it was, I always loved that because she was, because I didn't think she could hear me, but she did. (laughs) Anyway, so I was working on the song, I came back, as I said, I went to the audition, so on and so forth. And they called me and it was that feeling like you won the lottery. It was pretty oh, close sure. to like an opening night of a show because we all knew that Cats was going to be a huge hit. It already had an advance of millions of dollars and the whole city, the whole country was kind of talking about it. Cause it was that rare thing in theater where it's a phenomenon beyond the theater. Only a few things do that. Chorus Line did that. Rent did that. Uh, I think Wicked to some degree, um, Trying to think most recent, but anyway, you know what I mean. So it was a huge thing. It was always in the media. Everybody was talking about it. So to get the call that said you're in it, and I remember them asking, you know, as you know, would you like to play the role of Old Deuteronomy Cats? I thought, "Uh, yeah, I will. (laughs) Yeah, and um, it was thrilling it was very thrilling because when i told friends that i had been cast i mean everybody wanted to be in it and even if they knew they weren't right for it or there was nothing for them in it the idea was it was the best theater experience coming down the pike that had come down the pike in a long time so it was pretty great and getting that call was
3: yes
0: Yes. (laughs) you know Yeah.
3: yeah wow well, it's and it's it's a great part. It's a great entrance. You don't have to, you know. You have a little bit of a break at the beginning, and so I think. Well, you know,
0: actually, I didn't have a little bit of a break at the beginning. Really? I do. I've done it subsequently, and I've asked. You know, every time I've done, it, I said, "Look, I'm a little older than I was back in 1982." Everyone was in the opening. We were all what oh, yeah, we called. Okay. We would call the tribe in the opening because you don't have on your character uh, costumes and things. Oh. You're just regular everyday cats as they say you know and betty myself everybody we were all in the opening but nobody knew who we were yet because we hadn't been introduced by character so i actually was in the beginning and we did the naming of cats and all the opening number and the whole thing and then one by one everybody went back to the dress room some stayed on and went right into the you know show story but we went back and that's when you got i got into my deuteronomy thing and you're right it's one of the best entrances ever It truly is, you know, especially at the Winter Garden where everybody had come on stage, on stage, on stage. And my character entered from house left and came around and walked through behind the front orchestra section. So you got to see people and they got to see you. And then I had this ramp to walk up to the big greeting to all the cats. I mean, it was a terrific next to Dolly Levi. I don't think there's.
1: Well, hello.
3: Yeah,
1: too much better than that. Brett, you uh, you had I know in in doing our research and whatnot, you really loved that "Ain't Misbehavin'" special. Oh you have a gosh. question about that, right?
3: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you mentioned that, and it was 1982, and yes, I watched it, and I remembered it so distinctly. I mean, I was I was young, and I was very white, and I was very Midwestern, and yet I'm watching this wonderful performance on NBC on a network, you know, and Well, I mean, I could it could be its own podcast because I love it so much, but I'll just get to it. Um, I think what hit me most really is, you know, it it's the music of Fats Waller and it's so well written and everyone has a moment to shine. And 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 the end of act one. Amazing. Well, anyway, that's but but in act two, kind of in the middle, um, the song Black and Blue. And I mean, you know, again, I said I was, you know, very young and, you know it it really it really hit me and and it, it it gave me great empathy for that moment, and you know so that's what it did for me, but what was it like performing that? Well, you it's know, I think reflecting what that song was like
0: uh knowing, let me just say a little bit of the history of it. The song was actually from a show I believe called Hot Chocolates," and Louis Armstrong actually sang it originally. And it was a little more upbeat, you know, the words were always what they were, but it had a feeling of, so when they brought it in for us to learn it, to do it in the show, we all talked about how in a show that was, I think, 99.9% upbeat, other than mean to me and a few more heartbreak kind of things. This was the only moment in the show where we were going to get to not only express what Fats waller went through as a black entertainer at that time but also what it was like for black people at that time you know and it was the only moment in the show where there was no edifice there was no we're gonna make you laugh we're gonna have fun we're gonna be sexy we're gonna this." it was just plain and simple i give uh arthur fari and richard balby great credit in the way they staged it just us sitting on the stools singing out front to everyone and um it really, interestingly enough, when we first opened in the show, there would always be teeters of laughter when we did the number. When we did it off-Broadway, because we were at the Manhattan Theater Club first and we were in a 60-seat room, I think the energy that we were bringing forth as actors before the song started let everyone know, this is not funny. But in the Broadway theater, people, of course, were more distance, and I think they thought when we went, Cold, empty bed, springs hard as lead. There's in my head, feel like, oh, Ned, what did I do to be so black and blue? <laughs> but interestingly, for me, that was exactly what the song was about. People in the time period took it to be something funny because, in their mindset, it was like, I, you know, there's a long story that could go with that. But as we continued the song, all of a sudden, it started to dawn on the audience that what was being said was the real state of being Black in America, specifically during the Harlem Renaissance period, say the 30s to the 40s. Um, and when we got to film it, what I loved about the way it was filmed, even though it was just the five of us, it had that sense of of representation you felt like you were seeing faces of several people not just the five of us and what I love because I've directed the show now four times and I always tell the cast I said the thing about this is two things one you're representing the five people that you are secondly you're representing everyone from that time who experienced whatever this song is talking about and not needless to say today but Last and most importantly, Fats Waller, who was known for his humor and his dexterity on the piano with Stride and everything, this is what he really experienced. And this is the moment in the show where we let everybody know the heart of the man and what he really dealt with. And then you come back with recording artist, Fats I'm going to sit right down and write myself a letter. He always made people feel so great. But that's what he was really experienced. Sure,
3: you yeah. know, it was well. It was an amazing cast, and as you said, um, Armelia McQueen, who, again, another Disney reference. because yes, he, you both you both were in uh Adventures, Adventures in, Wonderland? In, in Wonderland. Wonderland, Wonderland which yeah. is so good. I bet that was was that fun. Oh yeah. God, yeah. yes. Well, well, Your look, she was is like amazing. I'm like my oh, costume can can no, we I say
0: I've been done. walruses and cats and yeah. but. um <laughs> Yeah, well, first of all, I'll say this. To, you know, Amelia and I did a few things together, which I didn't realize in total until her passing. But uh, we were like brother and sister. I mean, out of Ain't Misbehaving, that's, that's the friendship I came away with more than the others. And we all were friends and close, but Amelia was like my sister. You know, life went on. We stayed the way we were and did other projects together. And Adventures in Wonderland was so... I mean, <laughs> because you know she did the whole series i did eight yeah. episodes and i remember when i got on the whole costume and the whole thing and she stood there and she looked at me she said well page <laughs> i said don't say anything <laughs> don't say anything because i mean it could have been anybody let's face it i mean there no, was a was whole you. prosthetic head and the yeah. whole so was, but the energy that, of the you know
3: yeah but it and was, the message of
1: that story was so good too
3: you know oh yeah that. yeah so so well sure. done but, but yeah you thank we, you
1: uh, you know, can we alluded to it earlier? Brett mentioned that we are huge theater geeks. We also met doing community theater, and actually, our Muni up here is Muni with an I. We have a municipal opera that sees. Yes, like I've seen that. Guys. I have seen it.
0: I look. I don't know how it came to me, but for some reason, I looked. And I said, "It's a mini Muni."
1: That's right. It's it <laughs> about two thousand people. But uh, in two thousand nineteen, you uh, were able to. Get the Lifetime Achievement Award from the St. Louis Muni in that beautiful stage of eleven thousand people. What is it like uh, getting that recognition? One, but then also just performing out there uh, in that open air theater. Is there something like coming home to that?
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, I should re- I should specify and say that the actual award came from the St. Louis Arts Council, not from the Muni. However. The uh, I can say this: there is no place, and that used to be there. Muni, what do they call it? Uh, Alone in its greatness, that used to be there. <laughs> but you know, there truly isn't. The closest thing to the Muni is Radio City, which of course is indoors, or the Hollywood Bowl, which is twice the seating, but they don't do productions now. They do sort of you know concerts of shows and things. It gets pretty close, but it's still not a regular book show. Um, there is, I don't think there's anything else like it, really. Starlight Kansas City is is close, but it has its own different set of circumstances. There used to be a Starlight in Indianapolis, which closed years ago. And they were the three outdoor. Of course, I think Casa Manana in, in uh, Texas was an outdoor theater, but now it's an indoor whatever. But the Muni, they just had their 103rd season. We just had a 103rd season. And It has gone under a complete renovation. It's stunning. I mean, it really, what they've done simply is they prepared it for the next 103 years. You know, everything there worked and it was fine. But production values and things have changed so much over the years that there were certain things that you would see in a theater that the Munich could no longer uh, produce because they didn't have the equipment, they didn't have the technology. Well, they have it all now. And it's just stunning. But to be on that stage, I mean, for me, home, yes. I started my professional career there at 18, as I said, in the ensemble. And um, coming back, I think in 1992, I came back to do Ain't Misbehaving, which was amazing. I mean, Paul Blake, who was the uh, artistic director at the time, called me, says, darling, we're going to do Ain't Misbehaving. I said, you are at the Muni? It's five people. (laughs) He goes, well, we're going to (laughs) try. I said, okay. Would you be interested at all in doing it? And I hadn't performed there since I left at 75. And I thought, well, if I'm going to come back, this is a perfect show to come back with. You know, be damned that it's five people on a stage that's 125 feet wide. Uh, They did a great job with making it present present for the audience, but at any rate, and the sound system there is so good, even though you may not have seen us, you heard us very well. Um, But it really, uh, and of course, since then, I've done, I think, 43 productions. Uh, Once I came back in 92, with the exception of maybe two summers where I was doing other things, I've been in a season every year since then. And done two. When I was younger, I do three shows a season. There was two shows a season. Now it's one. If I, you know, but um, there's nothing else like it. And I will say this more so than the physical and the bigness and all the other things, it really has kept the sense of family that it always had. The Muni, when you go there, and now it's almost been reborn because the younger people have really taken it to heart. I mean, doing the Muni, if you're a a New York performer, doing the Muni in the summer is almost like that's what you do. You know, you can be on Broadway, excuse me, coming into the season. But if your show closes, you take a vacation, whatever you do, the Muni is like the summer camp, we call it, of Broadway now. You know, and it really, truly is. I mean, people there, you know, they've won Tony Awards, they've done everything. It's not the sense that it used to be in the old days, which was kind of the reverse. If you were a movie star, you'd been on Broadway, you got to play the Muni because you had a status, a name, a thing. It's sort of that way, except now there's a full circle in it that it's just, it's not considered where you go after, it's where you go during. Yeah. And so many young people that I worked with there who were in the ensemble as the years went on, they're starring on Broadway, they're in films, they're in all sorts of things. And it's a great place to have, as I call it, my theater home. Broadway is wonderful. And I absolutely knock on wood how great how fortunate of mine to have it but the muni is always welcoming i'm the voice of the muni i do the commercials i do the announcement at the top of the show good evening and welcome to the (laughs) Um, but it it really uh to sum it up it really is my theater home and even when i reach the point where i won't be able to do shows because it's getting fast you know we we were going to do oh we did uh, meet me in st louis a few summers ago and you know, I knew that grandpa was bedroom was upstairs. And I calculated, I said, Okay, if he's going upstairs his bedroom, he has to go upstairs, then come down the escape stairs. When he's entering, he has to come up the escape stairs and down the front. I said, you know what? does grandpa have a room on the first floor possibly? <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> I said, maybe his bedroom is over there on the first floor. And they thought about it. They're like, well, you know, I said, I'm just saying, I can't go up or down, up and down, up and down. Daddy's gotten to an age where that kind of thing is not only not great, but it's not smart, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they did. They gave me a room downstairs on the front row and they'd call grandpa and I'd come out from the side. I said, look, he was was supposed to be a doctor in his background. And he's probably got a bedroom attached to the doctor's office that he had. down And they were like, good backstory. I said, come on, of course. Um, So that the physical limitations, of course, it's outdoors and it gets hot, blah, blah, blah. So you get to an age where it isn't as easy to do. You know, and you take it for granted when you're younger because you just do it, and it's so much fun and blah blah blah, blah. But when you start turning around a couple of bends in age, hundred two degrees in the middle of the day is not probably the smartest thing to do, so um my guy's doing he says, "I don't care if we have to bring you out there in a wheelchair; we're not letting you leave." <laughs> I said that could very well be the way I'll be there. Yeah. Uh, he says that's it. He says it's fine. We'll, we'll do. We'll Draws a chaperone, and you'll you'll come out in a wheelchair. Uh, well, that's perfect. We're glad that's to great. hear that you're.
2: You, you'll we're, still we're, be. Real, a, that people are still wanting you to be in Yes,
0: yes, and that is a good thing. People they asked me every summer. This summer, they said, "Are you doing any shows this summer?" And I said, "Well, I was to do Mary Poppins, which was dropped from the top of the season with COVID and everything. They took two <laughs> shows away, so it started later." I said, so no, I won't be. I said, but you'll hear my big mouth. I'll be <laughs> announcing, you Perfect. know, the things. Are... But okay. yes, even this past season, I was to do a show. And there's more roles I could do. You just sure. stay age appropriate.
2: And maybe we will also still hear you doing some voice acting. And we have one more question about voice acting. Sure. Now, when we talked to Jody Benson, she gave us some behind the scenes stories of doing Little Mermaid. Tristan, a listener, wants to know if you had any great table reads or fun behind the scenes stories of recording your part
0: for All Dogs Go to Heaven. Oh, All Dogs Go to Hell? Wow, right? That surprised me. I thought you could say. Uh, no, it was kind of the same thing with All Dogs Go to Heaven. And that, of course, it was sort of a cameo. Well, I guess in a way it was the same thing with Nightmare for Christmas, but there was no dialogue to that uh, performance. It was really just the song. I had a couple of lines that led into the song. And no, I got a call from Don Bluth and Gary Goldman, you know, from the producing studio, the animator and the writers and so forth. And they said, we would like you to do this character, you know, uh, King Gator, this opera-loving alligator, which is sort of, again, when you saw the picture, I went, oh, okay, got it. He's in the sewer and um, he loves opera and charlie's yelling cuz he thinks he's drowning ah, ah and my line was was that an a Wait, was that a B flat or was that an A, you know? And then we go into these, like, what are you talking about? And it's like, oh, I love it. That was a great note. Let's make music together, you know? And you do the song. And funny enough, people, when Bert uh, Reynolds passed, they said, oh, yes, you did that duet with him. I said, I did, but we never worked together. He recorded, He, I was told that he was intimidated because I was a musical theater person and he didn't want to, you know, Whatever. And so we never actually uh, saw each other or anything. But the lovely thing about it, as you look back on it, of course, as it is in the film, uh, I think the affection that I think we both really did have for each other comes across in the performance even though we weren't in the same room at the same time at all. Uh, And there was no table read, therefore. I recorded it in L.A. And I just learned the song, and I went in and we did a few passes on it and did a few wild lines that they could use when I got underwater, you know, and things like that. And that was it. So there wasn't any real... backstage story to tell about it I think that is the backstage story that the song is the thing and Bert and I really were not together and uh but there it is for history we are together forever I
2: love that now actually Brett has one more question about uh Oogie Boogie Brett sure can you share that with us that one
3: Well, sure. Well, bringing it back to Disney, because as Beyond the Mouse, we are contractually obligated to do so. Uh, (laughs) As as I would imagine you would be. Yeah. Well, we do like the Disney thing. Of course. Can you tell us about your experience performing Nightmare Before Christmas at the Hollywood Bowl? Yes. Was it like your time at the Muni? I mean, it's it's wide, it's deep, you know? (laughs) Well,
0: you know, it's a funny thing because they all were like, now you've got to understand the bowl is really, you know, I'm thinking, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. I'm thinking to myself, I got this. I've been doing this for 20, yeah. 30 years. You know, yes. this is nothing. And How you're right. Nights, it's
3: Do we do this? We do this for, you know, three oh, nights. Oh, yeah, I should, that. yeah, I think, yeah, I think yeah. I got it, you know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but that is the interesting thing. And first of all, the first, uh, I think they had done it once or twice before I joined and Danny did it alone and with some other, uh, other people. And then they decided to bring some of the other original performers into it. And... Um, we've done it of course i think three times in hollywood bowl three different occasions we're doing it by the way if anybody's going to be in la uh, october 29th and 31st halloween night we're going to be at the bank of america stadium we're not at the hollywood bowl which i'm kind of like wow what's that going to be like because the bowl has become the home you know for us and so forth and um i should say for the sake of disney that i also did a concert to film of Little Mermaid there a couple of years ago, which was great fun. I did Sebastian, so that was terrific. But, um, you know, with the bowl, kind of like the Muni too, you only see a third of what's there. The rest of those people, especially at the Hollywood Bowl, are like, they could be on Mars. You don't know. It's just like thousands of people are up there in the back, and you don't even, you know. And it wasn't until I was leaving, because even in the day when you're rehearsing, you see the seats, but it doesn't quite... And when they opened it up at night, we were leaving it, the back of the stage was open. And I stood there, and I looked, and I said, I had no idea. And it was sold out. So, you know, it was packed. And I thought, look at that. It's like a wall of seats, isn't it, Mm -hmm. all the way to the top. Mm -hmm. And the bowl has such a, my God, the history and the traditions and the things that are part of the Hollywood Bowl. To get to go there and do it was just the best. It was yet another page in the story of Nightmare Before Christmas. I made another iteration, and now it continues, knock on wood, all things go well You know, with our situation we're all dealing with. And it's, it's just so great to get to be able to, from a film where you did a voice on soundtrack, to get to get up and sing it with these symphony orchestras and the great John Musari, who's our conductor. It's amazing. Every time I do it live, I think, isn't it interesting that this film thing that I did has come back around to live
3: theater. Yeah. Still.
0: Awesome.
3: Yeah. And that's as just...
0: you said, for me, that's my medium. So I was like, <laughs> let me out you know, Oogie lives in person. That's the great oh, thing. Yeah. That's good.
1: Yeah. It's perfect. just been such a joy to get to talk to you. And now I get to go home and tell my son, I got to speak to Oogie Boogie. And Absolutely. Like and tell him I said, boo. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's just also great, but what we like to end with is just a, a question to you. Is there something that you, you know, you, you've done so many of these interviews, is there something that you wish you're asked about, but you never are, or maybe a story that you have that you've always wanted to tell, but haven't had the opportunity. So we thought we'd just give you an, an open stage as it were to, oh my goodness. Uh, to let us know.
0: Well, when I was spot, no, <laughs> uh,
1: I can't say
0: that there's anything specific. I would just say that at this point, uh, I would want to say more than anything how grateful I am and how lucky isn't a word I like to use a lot because I think there are many other things that come in before luck, but um, how grateful I am that my career not only has been wonderful, but continues to be active. And I look down the pike and I see a few more things before I'm sitting on the rocking chair, you know. And um, I'm so grateful that opportunities like Nightmare Before Christmas came along because you never know. As Fats Waller, or oh, you one never knows, do one, you know? And you don't know what's in front of you. You you just try to always do your best. And I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I've had because looking back now, I can say they're all pretty hallmark things. I mean, Cats is an amazing thing that is worldwide. Uh, Amos Behavin has been done all over the world and exists on film. That's one thing I would comment on is that I've been very fortunate to put some of my stage performances on film which is also not something that happens that it happens more now than it used to but that's been specifically wonderful uh getting to work in london getting to work in paris my career has taken me to all of these two i've even worked at ryman auditorium in nashville i'm just saying <laughs> you know and i tell people and they go what in the hell are you doing at Ryman Auditorium <laughs> I said I did a show called It Ain't Nothing But the Blues which we had done on Broadway at Lincoln Center and then at the ambassador and they got I got a call that said they want us to do the show at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville can you are you because this is after we dispersed I mean, I said, yeah, how great. And I had many Pearl's dressing room, you know, and I got to take a picture with the famous microphone. So I've even been reached that far into what we know as as our industry. So I'm very grateful. That's what I would say as a last statement. And I I knock on wood and I hope my health is good and and that uh, I'm able to continue doing what I do. Because I think artists... No matter what leg of it, arm of it, finger of it you're in, we have a particular mission, especially nowadays. People, I, whenever I've spoken to graduating classes, which I've done a bit, and I always start with a whole litany. I said, just think about it. No TV, no movies, no recordings, no this, no that, no, 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 no. I said, none of that exists. What is the world? No dances. No singers, no newscasters, because they're part of the industry, no music, no, no no Madonna, I used to say, then it was Gaga, you know, so years went on. <laughs> I said, none of that is there. What do we have? And I could see them thinking, oh, I said, so don't ever let anyone tell you that what we do is not important. People take it for granted because it's just there. They go and they live stream and they download and everything is there to be had. But if we weren't there as artists to do it, it wouldn't exist. And I think what we do is the spirit lift of humanity always has been. And I think that's the thing that keeps me going at this point is knowing specifically at this time, whether it's zoom or, you know, whatever that we really are the, um, air underneath everyone that keeps us all breathing and and feeling like we're one together.
1: Truly are. And we are so grateful for your time today. And just the art, the creativity, the joy, the passion that you've put out into the world and continue to put out into the world. We are such recipients of that. So thank you so much for your time today.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for asking those wonderful questions. Thank you particularly for that. That's very astute. Thank you. I appreciate
1: that. Absolutely but it was so wonderful getting to talk to you today. So it was
0: great to talk to you. I mean, you know, look, this is the thing that's come out of the COVID period, which I think is, if you want to say kind of wonderful, I hate, I don't know if that's the right word. I know. Is I was saying to my mother just before I said, well, I got to go because I got to do a Zoom link. And thing," and I said, you know, I never thought about it, but since the last year, I've done several different things and different that I've reached more people during this time because of everything being online and people being able to, 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 uh, come on, stream in or whatever, that I've reached so many people during this period. And they've been things like this where you get to talk and you get to express yourself. And I don't have to perform. I'm actually talking to people. And it's been sort of an interesting uh, page, by page. <laughs> yeah. Now that's a podcast.
3: That.
0: You oh, gotta, that's see a podcast. Right, right. there, see,
1: there right you there. are. No, that's, so, that's that's so by there.
0: the way. That's the name of my show. My yes, concert. That is. I did. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, it, yeah. Yeah. but aptly named, I think. You know.
1: Perfect. Yes. Well, yes. that's so wonderful, wow. and thank you. Uh, yes. thank, thank you so again. Much. You're and more really, than really welcome. And everybody, it. stay
0: thank safe. You. Stay healthy. And have a great Halloween. Come on. Absolutely. It's almost time. It's time to start celebrating. Stay away from the pumpkin spice, I'm just saying.
3: <laughs> but have a great Halloween.
0: That's Thank so you. great. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. you too. Thank you so Take much. Care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
3: Bye.
1: What an absolutely charming man! And Vanessa, I know you had some wonderful questions for him. That's just awesome that you were able to bring those to him. And it's cool that he remembered the Springfield Muni. How neat is that? And of course, he's performed in this area, and you could tell that he really has a love for St. Louis and that the St. Louis Muni means so much to him. Think about all the time that he come back. He's he's the voice of the St. Louis Muni and their promotions. Just incredible stuff. In addition to to this so memorable role as Oogie Boogie in Nightmare Before Christmas. It's just great. Isn't it, Vanessa? It is so
2: great. I am so glad that you all enjoyed speaking to him because uh, he was so memorable when I met him the first time. He's just a delightful person. And that voice, I mean, even his talking voice is just like, it's I don't know. It gives such energy and it's it's like my favorite part of Nightmare Before Christmas is just him, his voice, his singing voice. Uh, he's just so delightful and I'm so glad you guys got to meet him. Yay.
1: I know. It was just so exciting and fun to get to talk to him and to get to hear really about a lot of his career. Brett, uh, I know you really wanted to talk about some of his Broadway shows and he gave you a big scoop about that, right? Have, oh, sure. Did you sure. enjoy it?
3: It was great. It was so great. And the other thing is, it was talking to another artist who's giving us kind of like life lessons, you Mm -hmm. know, I mean, kind of philosophies about the times that we've been through and all of that. And just a wonderful giving person. So it was it was so great to talk to him. So thank you, Ken Page. You're the best.
1: Thank you Ken Page um, and uh thank Mr. you Mr Ken Page Mr Ken Page coming
2: Mr yes. Ken Page to coming to me. us from
1: about 90 minutes away in St Louis so uh, it's so great to get to talk to him for sure. If you are out there thinking, where else can I get great life musings from Brett Rutherford? It's on Beyond the Mouse podcast. So we have a lot of former interviews that we did, past interviews rather. And we also have uh, some great conversations amongst the three of us. If this is the first time you're listening, please be sure to go back and listen to a lot of our other shows. Uh, you can search those by just finding Beyond the Mouse on any podcast platform. You can also find us on on Social media. So we are on Instagram, Beyond the Mouse Pod. We are also on Twitter, Beyond Mouse, and then also on Facebook, Beyond the Mouse Podcast uh, or the Beyond the Mouse Podcast pals Facebook group, which we really encourage you to join because uh, we are in there. We're we're having great conversations. Our guests for next week, which is the ladies from Like This Pod, they are in that group as well. So you can chat with them. All things Nightmare Before Christmas. Like I said, this is kind of like a precursor episode. So be sure to come back for a spooky good time next week as we talk Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm uh, just really excited for the conversation that we got to have today and glad that you all came along with us. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig.
2: I'm Vanessa. And
1: I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in the front row. So spooky. So spooky. That's that's all I know how to do. I got Like I don't I'm have sorry. anything else except for it's spooky. <laughs> that was good. Oh, that was good. Okay. <laughs>